Welcome to the On The Yard Podcast, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. I'm your host, Ashley Northington, and I'm here to connect you with the trends, news, and events happening across historically black and minority-serving colleges and universities. Tune in each week where we will give you a dose of HBCU leadership and culture, one episode at a time. Hello and welcome to On The Yard. I'm your host, Ashley Northington. Today, we have the pleasure of hearing from Dr. Ernest McNeely, who is the president of Allen University. Welcome, Dr. McNeely. Good to be with you. I'm so glad that we get a chance to talk today. I know I've read your bio, I've done the research, and you have had a tremendous career. You've had multiple presidencies. Can you talk to me a little bit about your journey and what brought you to Allen? Well, I have been a product of the American system of higher education since I became an adult. Um, not simply uh, educated or trained, but transformed in terms of how uh, I think about information, how I seek information. And um, oftentimes, about watching how things work at certain universities, you start to develop a sense of how you might do it differently. And so um, it was not my lifetime ambition to be a president, but um, it was clear that um, it was something that I could do and decided that I would do. And um, having an opportunity to give back is just so important. So it seems like your leadership has you know, given a new life you know, to Alan, can you talk a little bit about some of the changes that you've made, the enhancements that have happened since you uh, started your tenure there? Well, we certainly have had um, a good run, a very good run. We were essentially trying to do um, five years of work, um, you know, very quickly in one year or 10 years worth of work in five. Um, but first and foremost, um, we thought it was very important that we have a different way of making decisions, that we would pull everyone into conversations about what was, what should be, and how we would go forward. Uh, that helped tremendously. And then, of course, um, we set very high goals uh, as a part of our strategic planning. Uh, we were able to get broad-based buy-in, uh, and as such, we were able to move fairly quickly to do some uh, significant things, and of course, um, <clears throat> as you might imagine, I focused on getting control of the university's resources, right. uh, how they are managed, where they originate from, uh, and how to acquire more. Uh, and um, I think if my time at Allen would suggest anything to younger colleagues, is the importance of presidents having ownership of the financial affairs of the university. Um, it is more than uh, accounting. Uh, it is about uh, thinking about money as a tool. And 
to the extent that uh, presidents are able to ask the right questions, uh, to make suggestions. Mm -hmm. I think financially, um, all of our institutions would be better for it. Mm -hmm. And so we've started graduate programs. Uh, we are offering degree programs online, both undergraduate and graduate. Uh, and obviously we return the long lost football program. <laughs> and of course the marching band. And um, uh, tremendous changes to the campus, the aesthetic portion. And um, hopefully again, um, kids are being served better than they might have anticipated. Uh, and that we uh, are setting something of an example. So I want to go back to something you said. You, you talked about getting control of the finances. Oftentimes, we, when we talk about HBCUs, we talk about it in terms of a, a lack of appropriate funding. And we know that there are lots of examples out there. Can you talk a little bit about how you get control of finances, how you have the strong fiscal management when you maybe don't have access to the resources that other institutions might? Well, indeed, um, I think it would be fair to say that uh, the majority of our institutions have some financial challenges, some because of a lack of resources, and some because of the uneven flow of resources. And as a president, um, I think it's important to uh, meet frequently with your leadership on the advancement side uh, and the business office side uh, to understand how they budget, how they uh, allow cash to flow. And, and there are concepts that quite often uh, some of the chief financial officers at our schools uh, may not um, attend uh, all funds <laughs> budgeting, for instance, mm -hmm. um, as opposed to uh, uh, separate little units for uh, resources to go into. Uh, and uh, the issue of planning ahead. Uh, for instance, uh, the vast majority of the private schools uh, will only have uh, income for about seven or eight months of the fiscal year. Seven or eight months of the fiscal year. And so the question then becomes, how do we plan uh, based on the flow of, of revenue? Um, and uh, again, this is not something that uh, a CEO can simply say to the people in the business operation, you need to do this. Uh, you need to provide reports, information. Uh, you need to prepare uh, trend lines over the past three years with regards to how we spent, uh, when the revenue came, uh, what were the sources of the revenue, mm -hmm. uh, and how reliable are they looking forward. Uh, and um, Again, it's not uh, becoming the chief financial officer. Mm -hmm. It's about raising the right questions and insisting on getting good answers. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much of you know a revenue money in challenge as it is to managing expenses and figuring out you know how those are being managed for the betterment of the institution. Well, it's it's partially about the revenue coming in, but. If you serve a population where, let's say, 90% of the students are 100% paid, mm -hmm. well, 
you would be fortunate if 1% of those students were actually able to pay a registration. Registration is uh, the point at which all students at all universities incur the obligation to pay. And at some uh, selective institutions, you must pay ahead. Um, but imagine starting school in August and maybe 1% of your students can pay. Now, August is the month of probably the greatest spending. Uh, you are putting new mattresses in the residence halls, replacing climate control systems. Uh, all of the utilities go up because people are back. Uh, you're buying books, supplies, etc. So it's a high expenditure month. But nonetheless, your primary source of, of fungible revenue doesn't arrive because the students would have filed for uh, financial aid late. Mm -hmm. uh, so it starts to show up maybe in late September, sometimes more. <laughs> and so if you are aware of that, however, uh, you plan. Uh, and um, that's why it's important for um, financial officers to present, or presidents to ask them to present, trend, trend lines, what has been our history? Um, where are our major obligations? When do they occur? How does that mesh with when the revenue comes? And to be quite honest, um, it takes sometimes a couple of years for a new president to realize uh, that it's really not a matter of mismanagement, it's simply a matter of revenue has not arrived to manage. Mm -hmm. So how have you managed to get Alan on track? Is it just about asking the right questions? Well, yeah, and, and it's about uh, being a gray beard and uh, <laughs> having some understanding. Uh, we, uh, at almost the very outset, uh, moved the management of money from uh, Project Coast uh, to chart a chart of accounts so that we could see quite readily who was responsible uh, and um, also tie in the source of the revenue. And it, it had an immediate impact. Um, we were able to better our situation probably uh, in 15 months, simply by getting control of what was available. So, you know, you've talked a bit about, we've talked a bit about, you know, fiscal management. Right. But that is not always, you know, it's not necessarily the person that's the chief business officer, chief CFO that becomes the president. Right. Can you talk a little bit about what you think the most appropriate pathway to the presidency is and what the, the skills that presidents of today need to have? Well, I, I think it's probably still the chief academic officer. Right? even though fewer and fewer chief academic officers are interested in watching the financial and political challenges that presidents face. I still think that's, that is the better path for our institutions. Uh, certainly we see more and more advancement officers uh, now moving into the job. Uh, and of course we have some who come from outside the academy uh, who uh, have fared reasonably well. Uh, but I would, would again say that the chief academic officer is probably uh, the better route. 
And so if, if it is the chief academic officer, and that's the, the, the most appropriate route from your perspective, how do they then get the skills that are necessary to lead? Well, um, they have to uh, develop tremendous skills uh, for leadership uh, because they lead the most difficult population on campus. <laughs> they have the most complex uh, set of uh, transactions. Uh, and typically, uh, the very good ones tend to know more about the life and the flow of the university than any other office. Um, I think it's incumbent on, on all presidents uh, to have their chief academic officers not only own a large share of the budget, but actually be able to manage it as well. Um, I think it's really important that, uh, in our schools in particular, that the management of finances be decentralized. Okay. Tell now, me I'd be tarred and feathered for saying that. <laughs> but well, tell me a little bit more about it. You know, what, when you say decentralized, what does that look like? Well, it, it means that um, uh, departments and uh, divisions have clear budgets and, and budget responsibility. Uh, not only for shaping them, uh, but to managing them in terms of their expenditure. Um, there is a notion in, in our education, especially in accreditation, is that you arrive at budgets from really significant planning. And so if planning drives your budget, then once the budgets are made, then those individuals who have the responsibility for executing whatever the plans are, Right. Should also have uh, control of the money. That's yeah. That I mean, that makes some sense. Some makes sense. And it makes them more responsible. Mm -hmm. And that's the critical piece that I've witnessed in much of my career. If you're not responsible, you simply ask for more and more. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about students. So when you look out over the landscape over the past few years, how have your interactions with students and families changed? Are you hearing, you know, are, are there particular things that are coming up now that maybe didn't happen a few years ago? Like what are some of the, how has those conversations evolved? Well, um, it's difficult for me to say because of the way that we manage uh, the institution. Um, primarily I deal with global matters mm -hmm. um, and uh, some of the more uh, personal kinds of conversations uh, typically aren't the ones that I have because I'm not the best suited person. I understand. Um, for presidents to be successful, they must be authentic. Right. Um, and uh, typically I focus on very hard questions, very difficult things. Uh, but um, we've had to pay more attention to the, the mental health of students, the emotional health of students. Uh, and that was increasing even prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Well, it, it has gotten more verbal attention, uh, but it was something that was very much on the radar. And with regards to our counseling staff, uh, the number of conversations uh, with parents about students with issues, I think it was something that, that has grown. Uh, and and certainly we we speak frequently about how do we manage this, what what resources do we provide, 
um, and it's an ongoing uh, topic of conversation. Um, what we do is to make it very plain uh, to our students that no matter what your challenge is, there is someone that you can speak with and someone who will help you address it. And uh, we invite all students to email them. Okay. Yes. Access, that's, that's great. So when you just take a step back, and so not necessarily, you know, your institution right now, but like when you look across the higher ed landscape and then you kind of zoom in on HBCUs, what would you say is sort of the biggest challenge facing HBCUs are? Well, I think one is what I just addressed. Uh, certainly when we are mm -hmm. in a room uh, with just us and we're talking with individuals who have uh, wherewithal, uh, the concern about the emotional well-being of students, mm -hmm. uh, primarily because it's very difficult to hire professional staff and training to address some of those issues. So that is a, a pressing, pressing issue uh, right across the board. Uh, and of course, uh, we all look for uh, new ways to uh, uh, find funding that will assist in making a leap of some sort. Um, and of course, uh, there are constantly evolving regulations, uh, whether they stem from, from Washington, from Washington, through accreditors mm -hmm. or state legislatures. And so I think presidents are always concerned about what comes next from either their state capital or their regional accreditor from Washington. Right. So well, speaking of Washington, so if the federal government could make one shift to help support your institution, what would that shift be? Well, that's an excellent question. I, I would, with regards to my own institution, uh, some of the bureaucracy associated with the funds uh, would be uh, a really great thing to have happen. Um, at the onset of the pandemic, when CARES money was originally made available to schools, uh, there were legions of presidents who were hesitant about taking the money because they were afraid that we will spend it and then there will be new regulations. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the level of reporting now associated with that money is, is burdensome. Uh, and, and oftentimes, uh, the sands shift a bit. Um, and so I, I would think that uh, there would probably be ways that uh, some of the reporting requirements could be lessened uh, because of the time they consume. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you know the federal government at different points in time will do assessments about how long should it take uh, someone to complete this particular form. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, that is a major burden, and I would, would point to that as a place to start. Okay. <laughs> That's to start. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I want you to dream with me a little bit. If someone were to show up tomorrow mm -hmm. and give you a check for $100 million mm -hmm. for Allen University, mm -hmm. what would you do with that money? Unrestricted, unrestricted gift. Okay. 
Well, certainly the first thing I would do uh, would be to find some very, very able investors uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, and, and start an endowment that will you know, last for, uh, for generations. Uh, I probably would, would go to the student roster in terms of stopouts. Invariably, the stopouts stop out because of money uh, and life issues. And uh, so I'd start a great reclamation campaign. See how many uh, lost souls we can bring back. I like that. Yeah. And then, of course, uh, I would, uh, would like to pay. Uh, certain employees more, um, uh, not only for stability's sake, but for the sacrifice that they make and the quality of work that they provide. Um, quite often at our institutions, if you don't have a sense of mission, uh, you probably should find some place else to work. Right? And so, um, and then of course, there, there are other kinds of plant things that you can always physical. Sure. But I think in the main, I'd probably try to find some really, really able money changes. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That makes perfect sense. You know, speaking of, you know, faculty, right, and, and paying faculty and staff, you know, select ones more, how with this, you know, recent attention on HBCUs, have you noticed a trend or any uptick at all and people wanting to work at your institution or those like it? Well, you know, there has been an uptick, but I think in part it's it's a consequence of, of offloading that took place uh, at the onset of the pandemic. There were larger universities in particular that even before the effects of the pandemic had taken hold, started to uh, unload, if you will. And so the opportunities, I think, uh, for people have been fundamentally different. Some of the hires that we've made were people that I don't imagine seven years ago, the institution really, I, I was not there, but I don't think they would have been able to hire them. Um, and certainly with regards to the attention uh, to HBCUs, um, it has been very, very new for me. Um, but the impact has been disproportionate um, in terms of, especially private people. Um, you've had a relatively small number of the full universe uh, to benefit significantly. Um, and then, of course, um, there are challenges as the care of money uh, is winding down, the regulatory burden, of course. And then, unless you have a very able fiscal staff and a very fluid system of budget management, uh, the disappearance of that money could cause your shift to lift to one side. And so um, I, I would certainly hope that uh, as the discussion proceeds about the topical nature of HBCUs, that one would try and, and quantify it more broadly speaking. So when you talk about, you know, the universe, you know, has it benefited, the whole entire universe has benefited in a significant way. Can you tell me a little bit more about what you mean by that? Well, typically, um, well, I shouldn't say typically, always, uh, private donors have something in mind mm -hmm. when they start out. 
And so it's very difficult to know uh, what that something is and who who's influenced in those decisions. And so um, the, um, the Amazon funding that came our way uh, uh, in two particular, uh, I think, iterations. Um, in the first, the institutions that were selected were primarily schools that had a research agenda. Mm -hmm. There were a couple that didn't. But, um, you know, writ large, all of our schools will have a handful of faculty members who are active researchers. Mm -hmm. um, but there are others that have a research agenda. And so that funding, while it sounds impressive with HBCUs, uh, it tends to um, gather in a few places and, and not so much in others. Are you hopeful that with, you know, the new Carnegie classifications that, you know, where, where they're focused on measures of equity and belonging, do you, are you hopeful that more donors will be looking at institutions like yours, HBCUs, minority serving, because they know that those dollars will be put to good use? Well, I think so. And certainly in our case, uh, we have been very, very active. Obviously, the pandemic derailed our efforts. But we've been very, very active in, um, in telling our story, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to showing up with our hands out. Right. We show up with the story to tell. We're doing some very interesting things here. We're doing some transformational things here. Uh, would you like to invest? And um, I think that works. Uh, and as the world returns to some semblance of normalcy, uh, even though we're small now, uh, we think it will continue to work. The, uh, the large gift that we received from Boeing, for instance, um, we spent three years talking about what we were going to do programmatically, not about what we needed, but about what we were doing. And I certainly, um, we succeeded there and, and taking the same approach, you know, largely uh, with uh, corporate folk in particular. And, and we think that um, we can continue to to tell the stories that we tell because we, we do what we say we with our students. Right. So, you know, I've got just three more questions left. Okay. And the first two are designed to get to know you a little bit better. Okay. And so the first question is, what is the activity or practice that keeps you grounded? Well, um, <clears throat> my, my greatest desire and, and fear are both tied together. Uh, failing at anything. And so uh, there's no opportunity to celebrate, to run laps. Uh, and, and we've had some really significant successes. But uh, it simply provides an opportunity to move on to the next one. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't know how I would have answered this as a young man. <laughs> But 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 now it's um, it's about how do we make things uh, better uh, for students? Uh, how do I help uh, either directly or through their ability to observe um, younger presidents be much more thoughtful about how they go about their work? 
if what is the best leadership advice you've ever been given? Well, probably to be yourself. Um, in particular, in, among HBCUs, um, there is a suggestion that you have to be an orator, mm -hmm. you know, or, or a plan hander. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, um, I'm not that, and so I'm not trying to be that. And so um, that was probably the best advice I So how would you describe yourself then? Um, thoughtful, reflective. <laughs> and um, and of course we we we've been very successful. Good. So here's my last and final question: If there was one thing that you wanted more people to know about Allen, what would that be? Well, one thing would be difficult, but I can run down a few very very quickly. Okay. All right. So. We manage our money very well. We have a perfect three in the financial responsibility index from the federal government. Uh, our last audit had no findings. Uh, we provide all of our students with uh, health insurance with prescription drugs. Oh. Uh, we provide all of our students a, a MacBook. Uh, and um, the health policy that we provide also has um, uh, emotional health. Um, our kids don't have to buy textbooks. We provide uh, e-books and other e-learning material. And we're very um, focused on making certain that they can not only read it on their tablets and devices, but on their cell phones as well. We provide an extraordinary experience for students. And that's what I would have people know. <laughs> <laughs> good, good, good. That's great. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm sure that our listening audience has benefited tremendously. You dropped lots of nuggets for leaders to uh, pick up on. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you. Good to see you. Yes, good to see you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of On the Yard, powered by the R.W. Jones Agency. R.W. Jones is the nation's only strategic communications and issues management firm explicitly focused on higher education, serving more than 50 colleges and universities nationwide. Check back for next week's episode of On the Yard, where we'll give you another dose of HBCU leadership and culture.